the sixth chapter, the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis 6, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Okay, Lord willing, we're going to cover Genesis 6 and 7. Amen, this morning. Uh, this has to do, with, obviously, with the flood. Amen. Okay, Genesis 6 and 1. Genesis chapter 6 tells us the reason for the flood. Genesis 7 gives us the details of the flood. In Genesis 8, uh, we bring, it brings us to the end of the flood. So again, the reason for the flood, then the flood, and then the end of the flood, 6, 7, and 8. So in the 6th chapter of the book of Genesis, if you have it, say praise the Lord. The reasons for the flood. Verse 1, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives all of which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Chapter 7 verse 1, and the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your anointing that is already upon your word. We pray for inspiration to preach it, to teach it, and to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, chapter 6, the reasons for the flood. The Bible gives us the background right before the time of the flood. In verse 1, it says that men begin to multiply on the face of the earth. It is estimated at that time that there is about a billion people that have populated the earth. A billion people. So it's been a very fast um, population increase in the earth because of the longevity of life. So approximately one billion people is the estimate. So when the Bible says they begin to multiply on the face of the earth, it's showing you how rapid, how quickly the earth was populated by man. One billion people estimated. Now after the flood, it wasn't until 1850, the year 1850, that you have a billion people on planet earth. So that shows you how rapidly uh, the population, there was a very large increase in population. Now that's one of the signs of the end times because Jesus said in Luke 17, Matthew 24, that what happened in the days of Noah was a sign of the coming of the Son of Man. So when you see a population explosion, multiplying of man upon the earth, that is a sign that you're in the last days. So approximately a billion people had filled the earth at that time. Again, 1850. Uh, 1850. Can you imagine? That's a long period of time until you get back to one billion. Right now, now you do a little subtraction. 1850, what is it now? 2014? 
fixing to go into 2015. Do some subtraction, you'll find out how many years have gone. But we're already at 7.1, I think uh, I checked this morning, 7.125 billion. Now think about that. Over 7 billion people live on planet Earth right now. That's seven times more than lived on planet Earth in the year 1850. So there has been a rapid increase, a multiplying of the population upon planet Earth. That is a sign that we're in the last days. So just as you have a multiplying, a uh, heavy population of people very rapidly filling the Earth, then what's going to come as a result of that? You've got a lot of people. You've got a lot of sin. You've got a lot of corruption. Okay? So what we're going to see in the background is that this large population, there's going to be a lot of evil uh, connected with so many people on planet Earth. And the more people you have, the more wicked the Earth is. So the Bible tells us at that time when we have a large population, uh, daughters were born unto them. Uh, the Scripture says in verse 2, The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. They took them wives of all which they chose. Now, in times past, we've explained the Beneha Elohim, the sons of God, verse 2, the sons of God, Beneha Elohim. We've explained that to you, that that is fallen angels. Okay? The Nephilim. Now, we're not going to get into that in detail this morning because I've already taught that to you in the past. Okay? How the fallen angels, the angels left their first estate, came down and cohabitated with the daughters of men, and they produced this offspring called the Nephilim or giants. Okay? So I'm not going to get into that so much this morning because we've already taught that to you. But the Bible tells us as the earth is beginning to be populated uh, very rapidly, very quickly, that the sons of God, the Bnei Elohim, came down unto the daughters of men and they had relationships with them and they produced offspring. If you look in the Gospels in uh, Matthew 24, Luke 17, which gives us the background, it tells us that the days of Noah is a sign of the days before the Lord returns. You will find out there are statements made like unholy marriages is a sign. So instead of focusing on the Beneha Elohim coming down and having relationships with the daughters of men and producing giants, I'm just simply going to give you this basic sign. That in those days when the earth began to be rapidly populated, we have unholy marriages that are taking place. Okay? We have marriages, uh, ungodly marriages that are taking place. That is one of the signs of the last days. Now remember, in the sixth chapter, I'm giving the reasons for the flood. So very quick population, a large amount of evil on the earth, but unholy marriages. Okay? Mixture mixture between the uh, sons of God and the daughters of men and so on. A mixture is going on here. So it is a sign of the last days. In the last days, there's going to be a lot of unholy marriages. Okay, People have entered into relationships and marriages that God has not put His approval on. Amen? Now, some of those are if a believer marries an unbeliever. That is an unholy marriage. There is mixture involved with that. Do you understand? Uh, other ways to have an unholy marriage is if you've been married before, amen, and you didn't have grounds for divorce, then you don't have grounds for remarriage. So that would constitute an unholy marriage. Now, I didn't say you can't be forgiven. I'm just telling you what unholy marriages are. 
So when we look at the New Testament and we look at this time, Jesus tells us that there were unholy marriages in this, in this day before Noah. That is one of the reasons for the flood was ungodly, unholy marriages. One reason for the judgment of God that will come upon the earth in the last days is ungodly and unholy marriages. Do, do you understand that? All right? So that's where we'll leave that uh, for now. Now, <clears throat> when we look at it, the time of the flood, the ungodly line of Cain is going to be wiped out. Also, the Benaiha Elohim, the offspring of the Benaiha Elohim, which is the giants, you with me here, they're going to be wiped out. So, the, uh, that, that's a good thing because sin's going to be wiped out. Amen. Now, verse 3, as we look at it, the Bible says, the Lord said, say with me, the Lord said, this is God speaking. He said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Okay, so during that time, uh, and we'll see other reasons in just a moment why the flood will hit. But at that time, God is striving with man. Now, this shows you the patience of God. That even though it's a very wicked and a very evil time, right before judgment's coming, God's Spirit is still striving. It shows you His patience. That He just keeps on striving. He, he keeps on trying to reach people. He's trying to save people in a very wicked and ungodly time. So He's striving. He's patiently trying to save people during that time. But He says something here. He says in verse 3, My Spirit shall not always strive with man. He said there's going to come a time when grace will no longer be extended. There's going to come a time when grace will be over and judgment will fall. We need to see that this morning. That right now, as the Lord said in Luke 17 and Matthew 24, the days of Noah were, were signs of of what it would be like before He comes, we need to understand that the Spirit of the Lord is patiently striving with people in order to save them. But, He says, there comes a time when He stops. He stops striving with people. He stops warning them. He stops working in their life to save them. Judgment is certain and judgment will fall. So you need to understand something about the grace of God. The grace of God patiently strives with man, but the grace of God does not stop judgment from coming. See, if you preach a grace that says there's no judgment, then you don't have biblical grace. Because the Bible's very clear that there is a time, a space of time that God gives man to repent. He gives all of us a space of time to repent. And, and after we've been warned and, and, and so on and so forth, then God deals with us. If we refuse to repent during that time of grace, then His grace will end and judgment will fall. So that's what He's saying here. He, he says he's, He has been striving with man. His spirit is. But He said there's coming a time when he's no longer going to strive with man. And when that takes place, when God's grace ends 
it no longer is extended to man, then His judgment will fall upon the earth. Just like it did in the days of Noah, it will happen again. In the days of Noah, they had never seen a calamity on the earth like the flood. So that when the flood hits, it will be, be the worst calamity that the world has ever seen. There's only one other time in history that it will be worse than the time of the flood. And that is when God burns up this earth with fire, as you see it right here according to Second Peter chapter 3. So the Bible is very clear that a flood came and the judgment of God fell upon sinful man, unrepentant man, man who refused to listen to the warnings of God that had come to them over and over and over. And the Spirit of God striving with them, trying to bring them to repentance. And God says, because they are not listening to my warnings and they are rejecting uh, my Spirit working in their life, He said, I'm going to judge them. Grace is going to end. And judgment's coming. And it'll be the biggest calamity that the world has ever seen. It's in the form of the flood. And so the Bible tells us the great patience of God striving with man, but that He says, I will not continue always to do that. And then He says, for that He is also flesh, yet His days shall be 120 years. He said, I'm going to give Him a total of 120 years. And in that time frame of 120 years, I'm going to patiently strive with man, trying to bring them to repentance, giving them grace. Again, grace is a, is a time that God gives people to repent. But grace doesn't suspend judgment. Grace is only God's time for you and I to get right with Him. Do you understand that? But he's already said that his spirit will not continue to strive with man. So the grace of God comes to all of us to bring us to repentance. It's God's patience. And he says, I'm going to give them 120 years to do this. This is the kind of God that we serve. We serve a good God. And the reason why God hasn't come and wiped everybody out already is because he's very patient and he's very long-suffering. And He wants people to be saved. He said, I'll give you 120 years. That's a long time. That's a long time for God to be patient with people. So, so that you don't get the impression like some people would give you that God is cruel, that God is mean and cruel. He's not a cruel God. He's not a mean God. He's very patient. He's very long-suffering. Uh, he has grace that He extends to people. And He warns them and warns them and warns them and works and works and works until God says, no more. That's it. So don't ever think that God, that it's God's fault. Don't ever think that it, the reason for the flood was because it was God's fault. The reason the judgment had to come, it was man's fault. Because God had given man ample opportunity to get right with Him. He was patient. He was long-suffering. And so there came a time when God says, Alright, judgment's coming. I gave you the time. I gave you the opportunity. You would not respond to that. 
So grace is over. Now judgment's falling in the form of a flood. And, I, and he is such a good God that he gave evil, wicked men 120 years to repent. Nobody can ever point a finger at God. If they do, that shows you how evil they are. If they point a finger at God and say, God is a cruel God. Or they say, why would God judge man? He's, he's just cruel. No, the reason why God judges man is because it's man's fault. If judgment falls on me, if judgment falls on you, if judgment falls on anybody, it is because after the long, patient striving of God with that individual, they refuse the warnings of the Lord that comes to them over and over and over. And God says, grace is over and judgment's here. And we don't know when that's going to be. But I can tell you this right now, that you can never point a finger at God and say, God was at fault. The only reason why God had to judge was because the people refused to get right with Him. Amen. So He's so long-suffering and He's so patient. He gave man a time frame of 120 years. And the Scripture says in verse 4 that there were giants in the earth. In those days, these giants are the offspring. The Nephilim were the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of men. And the Nephilim, uh, when you study the word giant, you're talking about tyrants. You're talking about cruel leaders that are in the earth. Um, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail with that. But as you see the rise in dictatorships, totalitarian systems in the world, that's also a sign of the coming of the Lord. Cruel dictatorships. Okay, uh, that is in the earth. And so the giants are in the earth in those days. And then he said also after that. So this wasn't the only time that we had the Nephilim or the offspring of the fallen angels and the daughters of men. After the flood, they existed. We've already taught that to you, so we're going to go on. Now the Bible tells us uh, that these... Uh, Verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the daughters of men, uh, the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bare children to them and the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. Right? Verse 5, so we have this, again, the reason for the flood is this intermingling of unholy marriages that are taking place here in this time of explosion, population growth. God's grace is running out. Uh, very patient God trying to reach man and save him. And then He gives us further reasons for the flood, beginning with verse 5. And God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth. The next reason for judgment is because of the conduct of man. Wickedness was filling the earth. The conduct of man. And then he goes down further and he talks about the thoughts of man. That their imaginations were only evil continually. Look at it, verse 5. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his head was only evil continually so that the conduct of man was so bad that it required judgment. 
and the thoughts of man, the imaginations, were only evil continually. The thoughts of man was one reason for the judgments of God. See, a lot of times people focus on action and what people do. They don't think about what God, how God looks at the thoughts or the thought life. Sometimes people just let their thought life run rampant. All kinds of evil thoughts and evil imaginations, you know, going on in the mind. But when God looks at it, He looks at it as something that's important. For us to have evil imaginations and evil thoughts, you know, when you talk about evil thoughts, you're talking about an evil heart. You're just talking about an evil mind. You're talking about your heart not being right. You can have all the outward stuff right. Right? You might have your conduct right, but how's your heart? You might have all the outward right, but how's the inside? So God said, I'm looking on the outside and I can tell by looking on the outside the conduct of man is bad. But He said, I can also look on the inside of man. And He said, I can tell you that on the inside of man, his heart is not right. His thoughts are not right. If a person has corrupt thoughts, it will lead them to a corrupt life. So it starts out with a thought. Right? So a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a character. You sow a character, and you reap a destiny. Say it with me. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So it always starts with the thought. So if you and I today have corrupt thoughts, if your thoughts are not right, then it's going to produce... Corrupt action, corrupt action produces corrupt character, and corrupt character produces a destiny called hell. That's why we have to be careful to guard our heart and to guard our thoughts the way we think. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you don't think right, it will be seen eventually. If I don't think right, it will be seen eventually. So we see uh, God giving the reason for the flood, the conduct of man, and then we see the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Notice he says the thoughts of his heart. He said the thoughts of his mind. He said the thoughts of his heart. What was really on the inside of that man. And God, see, I, I can look at you unless God tells me what you're thinking. Amen. I, uh, telepathy is demonic. That's not of God. Telepathy is not of God. But God can give a person discernment about what's going on the inside of somebody. But except God uh, revealed to us what is inside of somebody, we don't know that. So I don't know what's in your mind or in your heart today, but God does. Amen? And it's important to God, not just the outward things that we do, but the, the things that we uh, that's going on on the inside of us. How is my heart today? How is your heart today? It's important to God. Verse 6, And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. It repented. That doesn't mean God had to repent of sin. When it says it repented the Lord that He had made man, repentance when it's talking about God, it means that now God 
is going to have to respond to man in a different way. He's, he's been handling a man, man a certain way up to this point, but because of the sin that is in that person's life, because of the evil that's in the world, the evil that's in man, the conduct and his thoughts, so on and so forth, God says, or the Bible says, that He repented him. I mean, now God's going to have to change the way He deals with man. He's been dealing with him a certain way, but now God's got to repent. He's got to change His dealings with man, not because God, amen, needs to change because of Himself, but because of man's action and because of man's ways, God has to change His dealing with man. Does this make sense to you? I'm going real slow and I'm not bringing the walls down this morning, but I'm talking to you. You need to understand something today. And I need to understand something today. That God wants to bless your life and He wants to bless my life. But if I give myself to evil conduct and I give myself to evil thoughts, then at some point God's got to begin to change the way He deals with man or with me or with you. Because we have changed where we are with God. We're no longer in harmony with God. And because of that, now, okay, God says, all right, I blessed you in the past. Now I've got to change the way I've dealt with you. I blessed you in the past, but I can't continue to do that because your mind's not right and your conduct's right now not right. So I've got to change the way that I operate with you. Now I want God's blessing in my life. So it's not automatic, you know. I can't just live any way I want to and think any way I want to think and believe that God's blessings that came on me in the past are going to continue to come upon me if my heart and my mind and my actions are not right. He will change the way He deals with us. And so now He's fixing to have to judge mankind. That's not what He wanted. He's fixing to have to change from being a benevolent God that's pouring out His blessings upon them to a God now that's going to pour out His wrath. That's what it means that God repented. He repented that He had made man. He changed His his actions the way He would deal with man. And the Bible says it grieved the Lord. The wickedness and the sin that was in the earth was so bad that it caused God pain and suffering. Sin causes grief. How many of you understand the word of the Lord this morning? When the Bible talks about the Spirit of the Lord of God was grieved, if you look at that verse, it grieved Him at His heart. Sin is a horrible thing. Sin causes pain. It causes suffering to you. It causes pain and suffering to me. It causes pain and suffering to the people that are around me. Amen? But oftentimes we don't think about does it cause God pain and suffering? The Bible says the conduct and the thoughts of man it grieved God. It caused God pain. It caused God to suffer. If you you can receive it like this, okay, in human terms, It hurt God. It hurt God. 
So when you and I sin against the Lord, it's not just going to um, cause me pain and cause you pain and suffering, but it's, it causes God pain. It causes God suffering. It hurts God. And I think if we live with that understanding that if I sin against the Lord, it's going to hurt me. And I'm, He's not a weak God. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He's not a weak God. But the Bible says it it caused him to grief. He entered into some some pain and some suffering uh, over the sin, the wickedness of man that was in the earth. So we can see the reasons why God is going to have to judge this earth. He's going to have to change his dealings with man. And that's going to happen very soon. He's given mankind... Almost 2,000 years since he died on the cross. 2,000 years. There's been a population explosion. 7.125 billion people on planet earth. Wickedness is increasing in the earth. Evil conduct and evil thinking. And, and the Lord is fixing to have to change the way he deals with man. He's going to have to judge. Grace is going to stop. The warnings will stop. And he's going to have to judge it. Amen. Don't think God is out there. He's not being touched or he doesn't feel anything when you or I sin against him or anybody else. He feels he's grieved by that. It causes him pain and suffering. So as a result of that, in verse 7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created. Verse 5 said, And God saw, He saw everything that was going on. Everything that was happening. They might have thought that He didn't see, but He saw. And He saw that wickedness was great. Say great. It was great. It was large. He saw that wickedness was great in the earth and the imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Evil. Great. In number. Evil. Awful. Sin is awful. It was great. It was numerous. It was, it was large. A lot of sin. A lot of wickedness in the earth in those days. And the Bible tells us it was awful. It was evil. Amen. And so, if you understand what I'm saying, it was just get it this way. It was really, really bad. Just like it is right now. So God's going to have to change the way He deals with man. And in verse 7, he's, and so the Lord said, the Lord said, I will. Verse 7, I will. When God says I will, it's as sure as done. I mean, it's just as good as done. When God gets ready to do something, He says, I will. It's as good as done. So now He's going to change the way He deals with man. He's going to have to judge planet earth. And He says, I will. Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to happen. God has already told us in His Word that He is going to judge this earth. He's going to judge the wickedness. He's, he's going to judge the ungodliness. He's going to judge the sin. Amen. That's in the earth. He's already said it. It's going to happen. It's assured. 
Judgment's coming. Help me preach. Look at your neighbor and tell him judgment's coming. As sure as you're sitting here right now, judgment's coming. As sure as you're sitting here right now, that judgment is death. It's coming. It's coming. And there's so many people today, you tell them the judgments of God are about to fall upon this earth and they'll laugh at you and mock you. Don't preach to me. Don't tell me that. But just because you don't want it preached to you or you don't want it, be, it to be told you, it's going to happen. Because God said it was going to happen. And you can have wishful thinking that it's not going to, and you can have hope that it won't happen to you, but the results of sin, evil conduct, and evil thoughts in anybody's life, it's a guarantee. God said, I'm going to judge that. Don't None of us here, listen, are exempt from that word. Are you here right now? God will judge sin and the wages of sin is death. It's guaranteed. Okay? So he said, I will. It's as good as done. And then he says, I will destroy. The word destroy, when you study it in depth, means wipe out. It's so bad, God says, I'm going to wipe the earth out. I'm going to wipe the inhabitants out. Certain judgment, God said He was going to do it. And He did it. And He gave you the scale of the judgment. He's going to wipe it out. He's going to destroy, the Bible says, man whom I've created from the face of the earth. You talk about calamities. God is fixing to do a judgment upon the earth that's going to affect all the human race. He's going to wipe out. He's going to destroy. The word is strong. I'm, he said, I will destroy man from off the face of the earth. I'm going to wipe man off the earth. You think about that. If God were to bring that kind of judgment in this hour, over 7 billion people. Now, are you with me? And I'm doing that with a ratio based on numbers because only eight people were saved in a, a one billion population. So approximately seven billion, if we had the same type of evil in the earth, approximately seven billion people would be destroyed just like that. Not, not just one catastrophe over here in a tsunami or a huge earthquake, but a worldwide judgment, a worldwide calamity that would wipe the human race out. And that's what God said He was going to do. I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping things. Even the animals are going to be affected and the creeping things and the fowls of the air for he repented me that I have made them. I've got to change the way I'm dealing with man. I'm going to wipe them out. Now remember, you look at that and you say, okay, that's a cruel God. That's a mean God. He's going to wipe the whole planet out? Destroy man? Even including the animals? It's a cruel God. No. He gave man 120 years. He was patient. He, he gave warnings through Moa. 
Noah, the Bible says in Peter that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. That man was preaching to his generation. And the Spirit of God was moving on that generation to save them. But they would not listen to the warning. And they refused to repent. They just got stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And God said, now judgment's coming. And the scale of judgment, I'm going to wipe out the whole man off the face of the earth. Verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was one man named Noah that was living in the midst of all of that evil and ungodliness. And that man walked with God. That man was, the Bible says, that man was perfect before the Lord. He walked with the Lord. So we can never point a finger and say, well, it's just so bad out there that we can't live for God right now. Noah lived in a generation that's about as bad as you can get right before the judgment came. And that man lived for God. You and I cannot make excuses. Get rid of, your, get rid of my lame excuses. You need to get rid of your lame excuses. So while you and I won't live for God, if Noah could do it in that generation, we can do it in this generation. It doesn't matter how bad people are getting. You and I can make up our mind to live for the Lord, to serve God. Right? And, and so this man found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. The word generation means the history of Noah. So he said, you need to know what's going on here. This is the history of Noah. This is the time of Noah. What is that history? It's the history of the flood and the repopulation of the earth after the flood. That's what the word generation means, the history. Now, why did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Because the Bible says he was a just man and perfect in his generation. That's amazing to me. A just man, he was upright with God. He was perfect in his generation. That doesn't mean he was absolutely sinless. It means he was genuine. His heart, it was real. It was a genuine faith. His heart was devoted to God. In that generation. And Noah walked with God. Just like the Bible says Enoch walked with God. The Bible says that Noah walked with God. Few do. Few people walk with God in this generation. Just like in the days of Noah, Noah walked with God, Enoch walked with God before he was translated. Just like the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Few people are really walking with God these days. But Noah did. He walked with God. And that word walk doesn't mean he just, you know, strolled down the road with God. It means he had he submitted his life to God. Amen. He walked the way that God would walk. He walked the way that God wanted him to walk. He walked in submission to God. He had surrendered his life to the will of God. That's what it means when you walk with God. He walked the way God would walk. Amen. So it was a very wicked, evil generation. And Romans chapter 1 gives you even more details about that generation. But this man, 
no matter how dark it was, no matter how bad it was in his generation, the Bible says he was just, he was perfect. That means he was genuine. He was upright with God and he walked with God. He was submitted to God. He was a righteous man in the midst of an unrighteous generation. He was a godly man in the midst of an ungodly generation. His heart was devoted to God when other people's heart weren't devoted to God. Their, their hearts were evil. He walked with God. Few in his generation did and few in our generation do now. You know why? Because to walk with God means you've got to surrender your life to God. You've got to do it God's way. You've got to subject your will to His will. And when you walk with God, you know what that means? It means sometimes you're going to be lonely. That's right. Because everybody's not going to walk with God. So when you walk with God, because everybody else is not walking with God, that means at times you're going to be lonely. And the temptation will come to you and say, "I ah, just, just quit, give in, join, join the world, join the people in the world, you know, then I'll have friends. And if you walk with God, it's a lonely walk. Sometimes you're going to be in a solitary place, in a lonely place, walking with God by yourself. Your pastor can't walk for God for you. Your pastor can't walk with God for you. You gotta walk with God for yourself. Your husband, your wife, listen church, your husband and your wife can't walk with God for you. You and I have to get our own individual walk with God and sometimes that means your family members are not gonna walk with you. That means your husband might not walk with you. Your wife might not walk with you. Your children might not walk with you. Your grandmother might not walk with you. Your cousins might not walk with you. The person sitting next to you in the pew today might not walk with you. Because when you walk with God, you've got to walk sometime in that lonely place, in a solitary place. And you look around and say, you want everybody to go with you. How many of you want some people to go with you? I want some people to go with me. I want all my family to go with me. I want my wife to go with me. Praise the Lord. I don't really think I have much to worry about. I think she'll make it. I want my children to go with me. I want my family to go with me. Hallelujah. There's some people that I don't even have relationships with in a physical way. I want them to go with me. That's why you witness. That's why you tell them about God. Because you want somebody to go with you. But when you walk with God, sometimes you're going to look around and they're not walking with you. And it hurts. It hurts. It causes suffering and pain in your life. But Noah was willing to do it. He walked with God. Is there anybody here this morning that no matter what, now you, you know, we can make big promises to God. I'm going to, I'm going to live for you, Lord. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to walk with you. But what if your wife stops walking? with him what if your husband stops walking with him what if your children stop walking with him what about your grandkids what if they stop walking with him what if grandma don't walk with him are you still going to walk with him well, yeah I promise you that will be tested and when we talk about that we're not talking about just showing up to church we're talking about 
when people you want with you on that same path to walk with God aren't there with you, doesn't mean that, that you know you came to church and they didn't. I mean, you're going to live for God. You're going to walk on the straight and narrow. And if they don't walk with you, sorry, I'm still living for the Lord. Amen. And, and yes, you know, you can make your own decisions not to walk with Him, but know the consequences are coming. And you can laugh and you can mock and you can make fun and do your own thing, but judgment's coming. Because you refuse to repent and you refuse to hear the warnings of God that have come to you over and over. And I know that judgment's coming, so I must walk with the Lord because I don't want judgment to come. Would you lift your hand this morning if, if you know at times in your life you've had to walk that lonely path? You've had to walk that lonely path. Why are you walking that lonely path? Why are you staying genuine in heart? Why don't you give yourself to the corruption, the evil of society? Why don't you give your mind and your thoughts to evil things? Just join them. Because you and I know when God said, I will destroy, we know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But I love God. I don't just live for Him and serve Him because He's going to judge. I love God. When it says Noah walked with God, the question is today is, are you going to walk with God? Am I going to walk with God? You realize today that every one of you in this church can make up your mind. You can choose this morning and say, I'm not going to walk with God anymore. Did you know that? And there's absolutely nobody that can stop you from making that decision. You can throw up your hand and say, I'm not going to live this life anymore. You can do that. It's straight and narrow. But if you do, no, judgment's coming. It's coming. I want to live for Him. I want to walk with Him. And sometimes it's hard. It's, it's difficult. It's, it's lonely. There's pain. There's agony. There's suffering. Because you want to take a lot of people with you that just don't want to go. I mean, there's a lot of people that I'd like to take to heaven with me. And no matter what I do, they just don't want to go to heaven. And there's nothing you can do, nothing you can say that's going to change their mind. They just don't want to go to heaven. And that breaks your heart because you want to take them with you. Don't make them a lot of promises when they start walking with God. I mean, God's a good God. He blesses people's life. But you tell them, when, they, when you start walking with God, it's going to be lonely. When you submit your life to Him, hit your heart to Him, and you're walking a straight and narrow path, it's going to be lonely and it's going to be solitary at times. And Sometimes you have to do it by yourself. I hear the Holy Ghost talking to somebody specifically right now. You, you've had lonely times in your life. And you've been hoping God would bring you a companion. Because you've had to live for Him by yourself pretty much. God is saying to you this morning, reward's coming. Be willing to walk with God in that straight and narrow path when you're lonely and it's a solitary place and nobody else wants to walk that, that path. Remember, reward's coming for you. Protection, salvation's coming for you. Judgment's coming on them. 
Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep on going. Look at your neighbor and help me preach. Tell him, keep on going with God. The longer you live and the further you walk, the tireder you get. That's when the temptations start coming. That's when they come. It's not there's, that there's never, you know, there's not temptations before that. But I can tell you, because, you know, I'm getting a little older now. And the older I get, the more temptations are coming. we got to make up our mind. I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to live for Him. Hallelujah. It's painful, isn't it, when you want to take somebody with you and they just don't want to go. Mama don't want to go. Daddy don't want to go. I pastor young children, young teenagers in this church. Their daddy don't want to go. Their mama does. Daddy don't want to go. It breaks their heart. Why don't you want to go, Daddy? Why don't you want to go, Grandpa? Come on. Grandma, come on. Don't you want to be in heaven with us? Your children, why don't they want to go? It's hard. Now, you can make a decision when they do that to join them. Or you can make a decision to be like Noah. And, I'm, and say, I'm going to stay genuine in my heart. I'm going to stay righteous with God. And I'm going to submit my life to God. you got a choice. You can blame God. And you can point a finger at God. And you can talk about it. It's, it's all God's fault for this to happen to my family or to my, my child. Well, no, 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 no. It was the person's fault. Amen. wasn't the church's fault. Right. wasn't God's fault. You make your decision on your own for yourself. Don't point the finger. Don't blame him. the church. You don't blame God. I'm going to tell you something. That's a cop-out. That's a lame excuse. Everybody in this church, if we were looking for a reason not to live for God, if we got hurt in the church someplace, somewhere, sometime, somebody did us wrong somewhere, someplace, sometime, I promise you there wouldn't be anybody in this church right now. Including your pastor. There's no devil in hell. There's no person in this world that can stop you from walking with God if you make up your mind. So get rid of all the excuses. Don't compromise. You stay on fire for God. And as you stay faithful to the Lord, maintain a righteous place, and you walk with God that straight and narrow path, who knows? You may look up someday and see there they are. What would have happened if you got off the road with them? You'd both went to hell. And I'm not preaching to you like somebody that's never been through anything. Sometimes you've got to make up your mind. You're going to stay on fire for God. You're going to live for Him straight and narrow. You're not going to compromise holiness. You're not going to compromise with the Word of God. 
Hallelujah. It's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord kind of a thing. Amen. And if you want to part, you know, you want to stop living for God, we're going to part ways. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Because I've made up my mind. I'm not going to hell. Hell is not worth anybody. The judgment of God is not worth experiencing the judgment of God on your head or my head or going to hell for anybody. Don't go to hell because of your husband or because of your children. You won't see him in hell anyway. You're not going to see that man in hell. You're not going to see your children in hell. They're not going to see you in hell. You're going to burn separate. The judgment of God is going to be horrible. Okay? You've got to make up your mind. Noah walked with God. The just man, perfect in his generation. Verse 10, Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Violence everywhere. Breaking out, just violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh. And now you go through this, this teaching of the word of the Lord, and you see terms like all and every, everything. All and everything. All and everything. When God's judgment comes, He said, I'm going to destroy man from off the face of the earth. He said, I'm going to wipe it out. It's going to be all and everything. Huge fatalities. Think about that. All and everything. Huge fatalities of humanity and huge fatalities of, of animals. All. The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 14. This one man, Noah, he's got these three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Noah has a wife, obviously, and they have a wife. There's a total of eight people. And that one man that lived righteous in a time of unrighteousness, godly in a time of ungodliness, genuine, upright with God, Submitted to the Lord. In that time, God said, I'm going I'm to show grace to that family. And through him, the whole human race is going to be saved. Through that one man by grace. Won't stop the judgment. But I'm still going to provide protection and care for people who want to walk with me. There's going to be a reward for those that walk with God. Amen. And so in his care, you see, God is still good. He's going to judge. He's going to judge, but he's still a good God. So, and he still cares. And he says, all right, I got a man, I got a family that want to live for me. Only eight out of a billion. And because, because of that one family that want to live for me, eight out of a billion, he said, I'm going to provide 
out of my care and out of my concern, I'm going to provide protection for that family. And so he says to Noah, prophetically, he's already told him what's coming. He already knows judgment's coming. Say the prophetic word has already been declared. That prophetic word is judgment's coming. But I want you to hear what I'm about to say. When God gives a prophetic word, He always gives the action what to do in that and with that prophetic word. See, if God speaks prophetically to me with a prophetic word, um, I'm looking for the accompanying action. You understand what I'm saying? If you can receive it like this, the prophetic word will come to you, but along with the prophetic word, the prophetic action. So if, I, if, we, if we have a prophetic word for you, but with that prophetic word, there's you don't know what to do or how to do or how to work, what to do, what the work is, what the action to take is, what good is the prophetic word? When God speaks a prophetic word, He gives the action that you and I must take with that prophetic word. You understand what I'm saying? See, right now I'm walking in a season in my life where I believe that there's prophetic word that God has given me that, that uh, not only for myself but for other people. Amen. Uh, they're hearing the same prophetic word. It's being confirmed. We got a prophetic word, but Lord, what is the action now? What is the timing? What do I do with it? When do I do it? How do I do it? And so we need to understand that with a prophetic word comes the action. God always tells you what to do if there is a prophetic word that He gives you. Amen? So let me just say it to you this way. I love God speaking prophetically to me and to others. Okay? And sometimes, if you understand what I'm saying, we get all excited when we start hearing the details of that prophecy. I mean, I love it. I thank God for that kind of thing. Or if somebody's speaking prophetic to me, I promise you there probably won't be one word coming out of my mouth. I'm just sitting there going, wow. Come on. You know? Because you can discern when it's the Lord or not. Now just sit there and just listen. Yeah, that's right, God. You already told me. You already told me. That's right. So I have the prophetic word, or you have the prophetic word, and all the details are exciting to you. Hallelujah. But now comes the challenge. What do I do with it? Now prayerfully, when the prophetic word comes to me, at the same time that word comes to me, the how-to comes with it. But sometimes we can get so focused on the prophetic word that we do not look for the prophetic action. You have to have both. What good is a prophetic word coming to me and I don't know what to do with it? Okay, so you got a prophetic word, so now what are you going to do? You're going to start taking action and God hasn't told you what to do. He hasn't given you the work. He hasn't told you when. You have to wait on His timing. You have to wait on how. You have to wait on the work. And that, that's where prayer comes in.
That's where fasting comes in. I've got a word, Lord. I know you've spoken. But how do we do it? When do we do it? If it's a prophetic word from God, the good news is this, is that the action's coming with the word. He'll tell you what to do. Now that might not mean anything to you because, hallelujah, when's the last time God gave you a prophetic word? Would you even care if he did? Amen? But the point being is that sometimes we get so excited about the details of the prophecy instead of what do we do with the prophecy? The work's coming with the word. Okay? Why oh, y'all look at me? You look like a, me like a tree full of owls. Hallelujah. So does somebody have a prophetic word, you know, or it's confirmed to me, then okay, all right, praise the Lord. Next question is, how do we do it? And until we know that, we can't move. So God gives him the direction, the work, how to, with the word. How many of y'all want to know what to do in this last hour, in these last days, right before the coming of the Lord? I mean... I want to be right in the middle of His will. I want to be doing His work. Yes. And there are great things happening right now. I told somebody yesterday, they called me on the telephone because they're starting to hear God more clear than they've ever heard Him before. I'm talking about a saint in the church. <clears throat> they said, when in prayer in the past, I've heard the Lord, but it was not real clear. But now the Lord's speaking to me in clarity. They said, I understand. I said, because I believe we're living right now as a church under an open heaven. Amen? And at the same time, you know that God is telling us certain things that He wants to do. At the same time, the provision's there. At the same time. So we're supposed to close the next couple of days on that sale of the property over there. You're living in exciting times right now. Very exciting times right now. God wants to use this church. We're, we're hearing Him more clearly than we've ever heard Him before. Hallelujah. The blessings are raining down on the church. Good things are happening for this church. Amen. Doors are beginning to open, not just locally, but in, in other areas. Hallelujah. To do the work of God. We're hearing a word, a prophetic word from God, and it's clear not just to the pastor, but to people that are sitting in the pew. Now, God, when and how? Because we cannot, once we get that prophetic word and we get the work, how to do that word, then you cannot delay. Because once God gives you the word and tells you how to do it, you better get busy. Because if you delay, you are going to experience the judgment of God. And if not you, somebody else or some nation will experience the judgment of God. So when God speaks and He tells you how, then it's time to get busy because He's told you what to do. Get busy. Don't delay. There's no delay. You can't delay. Get busy. Judgment's coming. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So I get the word. Then I get the how to. And then the next word is don't delay. Because your salvation and other people's salvation depends on it. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. 
You hear what your pastor's saying? Now, let me now, take that and apply it practically to your own life. Because when God speaks to you from His Word and He tells you what to do with that, do not delay. Because if you delay, it could mean judgment for you or judgment for somebody else. And that's the problem we get is we'll hear a prophetic word and then we interfere with God or we jump in something we're not supposed to be jumping into at the time. And we mess it all up. When the word comes forth, then you gotta wait for the for how to what to do with it. And when you get that, don't delay. Because, because somebody's life may depend on it. Hallelujah. You can look off in space all you want to. But I'm just going to tell you, this is the word of the Lord to you right now. So prophetic words are coming. But now we're waiting on what do we do? What's the work, God? How do we do it? Amen. And once we get it, we're going to move. But we're not going to move until we get that work in the prophetic word. But the good news, if God has given you a prophecy, He has given you a prophetic word, He's going to show you how to fulfill it. You don't have to worry about it. But you do have to wait on God to tell you because if you don't... See, Noah might have thought, well, when God told him the flood's coming, prophetic word, and he, he decided what to do on his own, he might have looked at his, his family and said, hey, we're just going to go to the high places. Amen? Throw all the luggage in the back of the truck, Mom. We're going to get up, but we're going to travel to the top of the mountain here. Hallelujah. Well, in case you don't know it, the water went 20 feet over the mountains. You would have drowned. Mama would have been sucking bubbles. You too. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? See, sometimes a prophetic word comes forth and so now you say, okay, now this is what we're going to do. This is the action we're going to take. Hallelujah. You didn't wait on how to. And you drown. So it's not important. Not only important to get the word prophetically, but to get the how to, to know what to do. And when you get that word, then you get busy and you make sure that you prepare. Don't delay. Today is the day of salvation. You and I don't have a promise of tomorrow. If you, if you put off until tomorrow what you need to get done today, it could cost you your life. Amen. So the work comes with a prophetic word. Make the ark of gopher wood. Wood floats. God's a practical God. I guess metal floats too, Brother Mark. They build ships out of metal now. Amen. But wood floats. Look at your neighbor and say wood floats. Hallelujah. What if you'd have built this boat out of star foam? You know what star foam is? Those coolers. What would have happened if you built it out of star foam? It might float a little bit, but it, you know, hallelujah. It wouldn't be very stable. Told you to build it out of, build it out of gopher wood, kind, a certain kind of wood, gopher wood. Right? And then, okay, so I gotta move pretty quick if I'm gonna get finished this morning. He said, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. Say pitch. 
And pitch is like a tar substance, but the word in the Hebrew means atonement. It's the blood atonement. You're going to seal this ark with the blood atonement. You're going to make it waterproof by the atonement. You're going to pitch it. Now, as far as practically speaking, it was tar. So when you saw that boat, that gopher wood, it was black. It wasn't brown. Because there was tar all over that wood. Pitch. They sealed that thing so it would be waterproof. Hallelujah. Now you've got to realize that Noah's out in the middle of nowhere. There's no water to, you know, he's not building this boat on, on the lake. He's building it on dry land. He's over 500 miles away from water. He's over here building this, this huge ark out of gopher wood. He's got this tar, he's, this pitch he's sealing it with so it'll be waterproof. Inside and outside. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits and the breadth of it 50 cubits and the height thereof 30 cubits. This thing is huge. Look at him say huge. So what's it, what does he do? He doesn't delay. God gives him the way with the word. He doesn't delay. He gets busy and it... it let me tell you something. It's laborious. It's laborious. When God tells you and I to do something, it takes work. It takes some effort. Hallelujah. This man's working. This man's laboring. He's building this huge ark. Right? 450 feet long if the cubit is 18 inches. 450 feet long. Look at it. 300 cubits. 400, that's 450 feet long. The breadth of it is 50 cubits. That's 75 feet wide. 30 cubits high. That's 45 feet high. That's a five-story building. You, you see the magnitude of this thing? You talk about how much God cares. The magnitude of this ship. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide. Amen. 45 feet high. Almost five stories high. A football field and a half long. 75 feet wide. The magnitude of this thing. Amen. Can you imagine the work that's going to be involved in building this thing? Do you realize it wasn't until the 20th century that ships were made? That ark was the... Let me put it this way. This ark was the biggest boat or ship that was ever made all the way up to the 20th century. He had to cut the trees down. He had to saw the trees. He had to plane the trees. 
He had to nail the wood in place. He had to pitch it tart within without 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. A modern day ocean liner. The magnitude, the sheer magnitude of this. God cares that much. He cares that much. And you're going to put a window in it, and that window is going to go all the way around the top of that ship. And practically speaking, why a window? Because you need air. You need ventilation. So God put ventilation system in the ark. They had their own air conditioner. Hallelujah. God made sure they had air ventilation. So put a window. That window went all the way around the top of that ark. Hallelujah. It was in basically the shape of a cube. Of a cube. Like this. Like this. Like this. And a window all the way around the top. Now, they've taken the dimensions of this and they've built small... Uh, Boats, vessels, you know, to scale smaller. And they put it in turbulent water. And it wouldn't flip, it wouldn't turn over, hallelujah. And it was in the shape of a cube. God knows what He's doing. You'd have put a front on it like this. God said, make it like this, and like this, and like this. Massive. Out there on dry land, away from water. The word of judgment has come. But God's care and provision and protection, what to do, was given. And He shows how much He cares about man. That He would have this man build this, this huge boat, this ship, this ark, hundreds of miles away from water. The Bible tells us they mocked him. They laughed at him. What are you doing, Noah? Building this big old ark. No. It's never rained before. The water comes up from the ground. It's never rained before. Just laughed him, mocked at him. A lot of people do the same thing with us, don't they? Mock the way you live in holiness before God. Why do you live like that? Why are you doing this, Noah? He said, you'll make a window and shall make it to the ark and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. Hallelujah. You're going to put a door on the side. Access. Pretty practical, right? Why you put a door on the side? So you can get in. So the family and the animals can get into the ark. So put a door on the side of the thing. And then make it three levels. Not just one level, but three levels. Three stories. Just the magnitude. Am I wearing you out? The sheer magnitude of this thing. Three levels. Isn't God good? He's just awesome. And, and I think you know the name of this ark. Every ship has a name. 
Oh, that's real good, y'all. Noah's Ark. No, that ark's name was Jesus by reason of its access. Because this ark was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood atonement seen in the pitch. The wood that was used cut down. His life was cut down, nailed to a tree. His blood was shed for you and I. The sheer magnitude, the cost that was involved for Him to save us. Three levels. Death, burial, resurrection. Three levels. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, one ark, one God. Three levels. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Three levels. Amen. A door in the side. Out of his side flowed blood and water so that there would be a bride that would be brought into his, into his body. Amen. The Bible says the fountains of the great deep are going to break up. That's hell was moved against him. Heavens, the heavens rained down. That's the judgment of God upon him. The lashing of the waves against the boat is the wrath of man that scourged him. And man walked through the side, the door, the access. It's Jesus. That's the name. That's the name of this ark. Only one place of salvation. And that was this ark. Verse 17, God said, Behold, I even do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. Even everything that is in the earth shall die. Everything. It's a judgment. It's a judgment upon the sin of man. See, sometimes we study this, this flood of Noah and we study it in a geographical way and an ecological way, ecology and geography and what happened to the earth at that time? But we need to look at the reason for it. And the reason is not just for geographical things and ecology reasons. It was for judgment. He's going to judge this earth because of the sin of man. So get busy, Noah. You build this ark. It's huge. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of effort. But you build this ark. Be motivated. What's your motivation? What's Noah's motivation? Judgment's coming. What's Noah's motivation? What's prompting him to do this? The number of fatalities. Judgment's coming. And the fatalities are going to be huge. I'm going to destroy. I'm going to wipe man off the face of the earth along with animals. Now, if that's not enough motivation, well, what, what, what other motivation do you, I, you and I have to win the lost? Judgment's coming. The fatalities that are going to be on this earth as God judges this planet, 
That's plenty motivation for you and I. What's the motivation for you to get up and, and to, or to pray for your children and to tell them the right ways of God, to tell them the way they should live? What is your motivation to live for God? Judgment's coming and there's going to be fatalities everywhere. Don't delay, Noah. Get busy. And he gets busy. He doesn't delay because judgment's coming. Fatalities are going to be everywhere. And then the Bible says in Hebrews 11, by faith, that's what prompted him. His faith, judgment, and the fatalities that was going to come. Everything that is in the earth shall die. Verse 18, but with thee will I establish my covenant. Wow, Noah, you're going to have favor with me. When you talk about a covenant, you're talking about the favor of God. When you're in a covenant with God, God, God has put His favor on you. Noah, you're going to be in my covenant. I'm going to, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to put my favor on you, Noah. Amen? Say the reward to the righteous is coming. I'm going to establish my covenant with you, Noah. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Your family, your whole family. You're coming in. You're going to come in the ark. Amen? And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to bring them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, the fowls after their kind, cattle after their kind, every creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. Take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten. Thou shalt gather it to thee and shall be for food for thee and, and for them. Thus did Noah do it. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. Are you awake? I'm putting you to sleep. I know this is a, this is a Sunday school story. Y'all are used to hearing this in Sunday school. So I hope I'm not putting you to sleep this morning. Look at the care of God. He cares so much. Knowing His family is going to enter into this ark, and not only that, but animals are going to enter into this ark. The fowls of the air are going to enter into this ark. The reptiles are going to enter into this ark. The fish aren't. They don't have aquariums on this one. But look at the care of God, the goodness of God, the care of God in this, and the magnitude of this salvation. Providing salvation, the only way of salvation. There's only one name, Acts 4.12, by which we can be saved, and that's the name of Jesus. And, and not only for man, but for animals as well. And fowls, the care of God. Because your family's coming in and... Seven pairs of clean animals. Y'all ever y'all heard two by two? You know, two of every every animal two? You know that's not right. It was two, a pair of unclean, but there were seven, seven pairs of the clean. Because God knows after the flood, they're gonna have they're gonna, you know, have something provided for them to eat after the flood. Amen. And the need for sacrifice and worship. So bring seven pairs of the clean and, and one pair of the unclean, the animals, into the ark. Now, are you with me here? Praise the Lord. And what did Noah do? 
He did everything the Lord commanded him to do. He didn't delay. He was obedient. He got busy. He went to work. He had the word. He had the work. He knew what he needed to do. He got after it. Hallelujah. No delay. He didn't leave anything out. What a noise. said, well, I don't think I need to pitch it in and out. I'll leave the pitch off. It, it has sunk. See, the whole point, people today, they pick and choose from the Word of God what they think they need. And let me say this to you. There is no place in the Bible where the Bible says accept Jesus as your personal Savior. Not one place. The Bible says as many as received Him, John 1, gave He the power to become the sons of God. The question is not whether or not I accept Him. The question is, does He accept me? And the Bible says very clearly, just like this art, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Don't leave any of it out. You leave one part out, you're risking your salvation. Noah was obedient in everything that God told him to do. He didn't leave anything undone. Hallelujah. So the provision is ready. Very quickly, chapter 7, I'm just going to tell you what happens. In the seventh chapter, the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark for thee. Have I seen righteous before me in this generation? Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male of the female, and of the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Are y'all with me? So on and so forth. The fowls of the air, male and female, so on and so forth. Verse 4, verse 4. For yet seven days will I cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Noah, you bring your family into the ark right now. Amen? And you go and you sit down in that ark for seven days. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before or not, but God's never late. He's never late. So when people talk to me about the tribulation period, and they talk about all these things that are going to happen on the earth, you know, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do? I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to worry about God being late to help you. He tells them, he tells them to go into that place of safety seven days before the judgment, before the rain comes. God is never late in His care for you or for I. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He, he's not too, he, he won't be late when the judgments come upon the earth. He will not be late. He will protect. Are y'all with me? We don't worry about Him being late. He said, you enter in early, seven days before the waters come. He's already got it worked out when the judgment comes. He knows Hallelujah, He's going to protect us. Never too late. He's never too late. He's always on time. They're going to walk in, they're going to sit down in that ark seven days before it starts raining. His family's in there. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, it tells us that the fowls of the air, the clean, or the beast, the clean and the unclean. Are y'all here? God tells them what's going to happen. After seven days, the rain's going to come. And it's going to rain how long? Forty days and forty nights. 
after seven days, 40 days, and 40 nights. Continual rain. Okay? And Noah did according to all the Lord had commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of the waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean beasts, of the beasts that are not clean, the fowls of everything that creepeth upon the earth. There went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female as God had commanded. There, there went in two and two. Verse 9. They went in of their own accord. Okay. So seven days before the flood comes, it's going to rain 40 days and 40 nights. Seven days, Noah and his family enter into the ark. And all the animals, two by two, in order, enter into the ark. Noah didn't have to get anything out there. No, no ropes, no whip, no gun. <laughs> he didn't have to round them up. They went on, they went in on their own accord. In an orderly fashion, no stampede. And when they leave the ark, it's going to be the same way. In an orderly fashion, no stampede. Just two by two. Isn't that amazing? You'd have had a mess, wouldn't you? And you got all these animals just rushing the ark. No, in an orderly way, by the Spirit of the Lord. Hey, if I was alive in that day, and I say this often, if I was alive in that day and I look up and I see a mass movement of animals toward this ship, and I've heard a man preach about 120 years or so that the flood's coming, hallelujah, and all of a sudden I see all of these, I see this big boat, you know, and then I see all these, I see his family go in, and then I see all these animals, they're, they're coming in at the same time, you know, in a uniform, hallelujah. That means the Spirit of God was leading them into that ark. If I had seen that, wouldn't have you? I better get in that boat. Something's going on here. But you talk, see how hard-hearted people are? They can see animals moving into the heart, but they refuse to get into that place of salvation. And that is the only place anywhere that they can be saved. I mean, they're just not too intelligent, are they, in those days? You can't fix stupid. Amen? You can't overcome stupid and you can't fix stupid. God might can, but you can't and I can't. That, that'd be just, for me, that's just stupidity. I mean, Brother Mark, when you got on the boat, I would hope so. Uh, me too, man. That tells me the animals were smarter than humanity. Amen. Here comes the hog. I'm grunting. Here comes the tiger and the lion roaring, you know. They all enter into this ark. The hog loses its grunt. The lion and the tiger loses its ferocity. The lion and the lamb go in together. In the book of Acts in the 10th chapter, the Bible says there was a sheet let down from heaven out of, out of heaven. It came down three times. That sheet was the ark of the covenant. 
And when Peter saw that sheet coming down from heaven in the shape of the ark, he, all, he saw all kinds of animals, four-footed beasts and reptiles. And hallelujah. You with me? And, what that, and God gave him a revelation that that sheet, that ark that came down, that when he saw those animals in it, was a type of the Jews and the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. Coming into Jesus. So that in the Acts the 10th chapter we have a, a fulfillment of the tights as the Jews coming in and the Gentiles coming in. Wild animals, reptiles. The Jew was probably the lamb. Maybe I was the hog. Unclean animal. But when I got in Jesus, I lost my grunt. What are you laughing about? Maybe, maybe some of y'all are you're, you're that old Gentile ravenous beast. Ferocious tiger or lion. When you get into Jesus, you should lose your ferocity. Jews and Gentiles alike coming into the kingdom of God in the New Testament church into Jesus Christ. He fulfills it. So anyway, here they come. They all just flock in there. Hallelujah. In an orderly fashion. Because God was in control of everything. I would just say this to you, okay? Is that if it's not orderly... If it's a stampede, if it's chaos, if it's confusion in your life, you're not walking very closely to God. Because when you walk closely to God, it's not going to be a stampede. How is it in your life today? Is it a stampede? Is it chaos everywhere? Confusion everywhere? Then that means I must not be walking too closely to God. Because when God's in it, it's orderly. Woo, I feel the Lord. I can hear some of y'all. Hurry up, preacher. It's already 1230. How many of you know sometimes in your life it's just full of chaos and confusion and disorder and it's all, it's a stampede and everything. How many of you know that at that point you need to check your life out and say, God... I'm not walking too closely with you right now because this would not be going on if I were. Amen. And I, I have found it living for the Lord and walking with God, I have more days where things are orderly and calm than days when everything is crazy and stampeding and chaos as long as I'm walking with the Lord the way I'm supposed to. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The Bible says Noah's 600 years old. They entered the ark seven days before it starts raining. You know what it took faith for him to do that? It had never rained before. For him to, to go inside of that ark and it had, it's not raining yet. It takes faith to do that. God starts talking about judgment coming, you know. We want to stand around and wait around and look up and see the meteorites coming down on our heads, you know. It's here. Let's do something now. No, God will test your faith. He will tell you to get in the ark before it starts raining. 
He tested your faith. He tested my faith. I got in Jesus. I got in this ark before the judgment came. And I did it by faith. But I know it's coming. How many of y'all believe this? Mm -hmm. He's 600 years old when he gets in. Hallelujah. In verse 11, I mean, verse 10, just like God said, after seven days, the waters of the flood were upon the earth. And it did that 40 days and 40 nights. Are you here? In the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Three sources that caused the flood. It was rain from the sky. These floodgates opened up as well. The Bible talks about these, the, the firmament, the water that's above the firmament in Genesis chapter. Is it chapter 1? I think it's verse 7. Check me out. Well, the waters above the firmament. That firmament is a canopy that was around the earth before the flood. And those floodgates on that canopy opened up. And that water that was over that firmament began to flood down upon the earth along with the waters from the sky. It was violent rain that came down from the sky. But the floodgates of the Arachia or the canopy opened up and that water that was above that canopy came flooding down. So you have the floodgates opening. It says windows, but it means floodgate. The floodgates opened. It rained. And waters from the deep, that underground reservoir of water began to erupt violently. Amen. That eruption of that underground reservoir of water was so great that creation scientists say that it went 70 miles into the air and knocked a hole in that canopy. And the waters begin to come down. Waters from beneath hell. The rain from the sky and the floodgates, all three working together to cause this flood to take place on the earth and it's a miracle because it did this for 40 days and 40 nights non-stop and it was a worldwide flood it wasn't just a local flood it was a worldwide flood it went 15 cubits above the highest mountain 15 cubits that's 20 feet above the highest mountain Mount Ararat is 17,000 feet high. That means that the waters were about three miles high over the earth. It wasn't a local flood. It was the whole world, everything, all, everywhere was covered with water. Forty days and 49s gives you the date when the flood came just like the Lord said just like he said exactly after that seven days the waters were on the earth in the 600th year and it tells you in the 8th chapter and we won't preach that today but in the 8th chapter it tells you that gives you the overall time dimension they were in the ark for a year and 10 days total from the time they, the waters came 
to when they left the ark was a year and ten days. If you had the seven days before it, then they went into the ark before the flood, you got a year and seventeen days. But for forty days and forty nights, that's a miracle. You see, because clouds don't hold water like that. At some point they run out. They'll pour out their rain, they're out. Forty days and forty nights of continual rain and floodgates and all of this and the water's coming up from the ground. That's a miracle. Supernatural judgment of God. The world has never seen a calamity like that ever in its history up to that point. The rain was upon the earth forty days, forty nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, the sons of Noah, Noah's wife, three wives of the son with them in the ark. They and every beast after his kind, all the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. They went in unto Noah into the ark two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in, male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Actually, we're backtracking in the Word here of God. Amen? Tells us what happened. And God says, just so you get it, they entered into the ark like they were commanded to, the only place of salvation. And the animals entered in it as well. And, oh, by the way, one other point the Word of the Lord brings to us. Saying, by the way, another point is that at the end of that seven days, that seven days of grace when they were sitting in that ark and those animals were there and they were waiting patiently by faith before it ever started raining. After seven days, an unseen hand comes and shuts the gate, shuts the door on the side. Noah didn't shut it. Noah didn't pull the rope up and pull the, the door shut in the side of the ark. The Bible said God's unseen hand, He slammed the door shut. And if He shut Noah and his family in and the animals in, that means some were shut out. God shut in those that would be saved and He shut out those that refused. The warnings the strivings of God. But it was His grace once again. Those people that were still alive, they could have walked up there and looked in there and seen Noah sitting in that boat for seven days and his family and the animals were all in there ready to go. Seven more days of grace. And then He shuts the door. And it starts raining. And the floodgates open. And the reservoir, the water underneath the earth began to burst forth, erupting forth, and masses, amounts of water violently coming down and up fill the earth. And everybody that had breath in their nostrils died. Calamity. A billion people estimated died. along with all those animals. And no doubt when God shut that door and shut them out, no doubt many of them as the rain began to drop on their head. 
begin to beat on that art door, scratching on it, maybe, screaming, let us in, Noah. But Noah could not push that door open, let them in if he wanted to. It was too late. God's mercy, His grace was expired. Now judgment is come. Because of the sin. The flood was 40 days upon the earth. The waters increased and bare up the ark and it was lifted up above the earth. If you were in that ark, can you imagine? That would probably a good feeling. You're sitting in that ark and all this water. You can hear these people screaming and everything and after a period of time, no more screaming. They all drown. Little children too. Not just the parents, but the little children of the parents because the parent was too stupid to get into the boat and take the kids into the boat. The children died. I didn't say they went to hell, but they died. They suffered the judgment of God right along with the parent because the parents' delinquency. I've preached Bible studies to, to parents and I told the parent, you need to get in the church because you've got little kids for their sake. Because if God pours out His judgment and you're not in the church, they're going to experience the judgment of God right along with you. They might go to heaven. I'm not, I don't know. God's going to judge that. But they're still going to experience the judgment because you're delinquency. You don't have any other reason to live for God. You can't live for God for yourself. Live for God for your kids. Amen. You won't go to church for yourself. Go to church for your kids. Because when God pours out His judgment, if you were delinquent, your kids are going to perish with you. I'm, I'm just saying I'm looking at you in love. I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you. I want to stay on fire for God. If nothing, if you know, obviously I want to stay on fire for God for myself. But my kids are watching me. They're looking at me. How am I living? How am I praying? How am I? How am I serving God? If I won't do it for myself, let me do it for my kids. Let them hear me pray. Amen. Come on, church. Do your kids mean anything to you? And they need to see you living for God, serving God. Hallelujah. Not griping and complaining and murmuring and just disgusted all the time. They need to see God in your life. Not mass confusion and chaos. They need to see you faithful. Faithful in the church. Faithful in the prayer room. Faithfully living holy before the Lord. Amen. And... I look at you, and I'm not condemning you. I look at you, and I thank God for you. Because you do. Most of you do. You're here today, aren't you? Are you glad you're here today? Instead of shouting and screaming at you, I'm just saying, thank God you're, you're doing it. You are living it. They are seeing it. It's making a difference. I see it in your kids making a difference. It is making a difference. Sometimes it's hard and it's difficult. Man, you get struggling, you're frustrated, and but it's making a difference. 
You see it in their life. Hallelujah. Not just shipping them off into the world and letting them be destroyed. Right. You're suffering. You're agonizing. You're doing everything you can to protect them. God bless you for that. This world is judged. It's already got the judgment of God upon it. You hear what your pastor's saying. And it does get hard sometimes to walk that straight and narrow path and to raise your kids in a way of protecting them from that, all of that. Do you understand what I mean? It is. But it's making a difference. Look at your kids. Look at your kids. Waters prevail were increased greatly upon the earth. The ark went up upon the face of the waters, man. Hallelujah. Feel that, son? Hey, Sham, Ham, Japheth, feel that? Hey, you get over here, quit kicking each other. Well, they had the same things we do. Sham, Ham, Japheth. Well, they're married, so maybe they're not kicking each other now. You know? Hopefully not. We'll get an idea that they're little kids running around the ark. At least sometimes I think they're little kids. But they're married, so they, they're not little kids, so maybe they're not kicking each other. I don't know. Fighting. Who get the ne next chicken leg? But anytime you get eight family members living together in close quarters for over a year, you're going to have some conflict. I'm sure there was conflict. I'm sure you can hear Noah screaming at, at Mrs. Noah. You think they lived over a year together without fussing and fighting with each other and Mama Noah screaming at Daddy Noah and Oh no, no. They they had some but I think I I'm pretty sure they were thankful to God when they felt that boat start going like this. Being lifted up off the earth. They felt pretty good. We're safe. Just like God promised us. Just like God promised us, He would protect us, He would preserve us in the time of judgment. It's happening. Just like he said it. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Flood was 40 days, 40 nights upon the earth. The waters increased and bare up the ark and it was lifted up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And Peter tells us in chapter 3 that this is a figure of water baptism. That when you get water baptized, all that sin is washed away. Just like that earth was cleansed of evil and cleansed of that sin that was there. When you get water baptized, just like Noah was saved by the water, the Bible says you're saved by water baptism. Because all that filth, hallelujah, is removed out of your life. Don't tell me baptism isn't important. It says it saves you. Is that 2 Peter 3 or 1 Peter 3? You, you look at, it's either 1 Peter or 2 Peter 3. 20, okay? Somewhere in there. Hallelujah. I got water baptized, all that filth washed away. 1 Peter 3, okay. Here we go. So they're lifted up above the judgment. Worldwide wrath of God. Say worldwide wrath of God. Lifted up above that. Worldwide wrath of God. The waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and high hills and were 
that were under the whole heaven were covered. Upon the earth, say the earth. It was a worldwide flood. 15 cubits, that's 20 feet above the mountains. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl, of cattle, of beast, of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things, the fowl of heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive and they that were with him in the ark. It's the only place of salvation. The waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. And then something happens. The wind begins to blow upon the waters. Hallelujah. In the 8th chapter, we see the end of the flood. But you think about that. 40 days and 40 nights. Violent, violent flood upon the earth. and The calamity. So many people, so many fatalities. They didn't have to die. They didn't have to. God in His care, God in His mercy, God in His grace provided a, a way of salvation. It was only one way. Not many, one way. One name. The name of Jesus. Amen. And He's provided a way for us to be saved. One way, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's by the new birth. I will tell you as I close, there's something greater than the type. The type is the ark. Something greater than the type is Jesus. If you get in Him, stay in Him. And if you do, you'll be saved. So the reason for the flood and the details of the flood are given to us in His Word. Are you thankful today that you know the Lord? Okay. I'm going to stop. Let's stand. Father, we come before You right now. In this hour, as we prepare, Father God, for the judgment to come, let us be busy, Lord. Let us be working. Let us not delay. Let us be faithful in preaching the gospel to the lost, telling them how to be saved. Let us be faithful, Lord, as a people. As we declare to this generation the unrighteousness that's in it. As we walk with You, as we serve You, let us prepare for our family. Let us prepare for others. The judgment is certain. Grace will expire. Let those that have been warned and those that the Spirit of God is in striving with, let them come before it's too late. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for salvation in You. Amen. Before I let you go, I'm going to just say this to you. God doesn't care about numbers. Only eight people were saved that day. Only eight. That means approximately a billion people died in the judgment of God. Only eight. Only eight were in the church. See, sometimes when we look at things, we look at things differently than God does. We look at things 
outwardly and physical and we want the big numbers and all of that. God doesn't care about numbers. He cares about holiness. He cares about righteousness. He cares about godliness. So big church, small church is not important to God. Numbers aren't. It's the way we live that's important to God. Don't get caught up in all of that. Don't get caught up in the big numbers or the big this or the big that. Only eight people were saved in that day. And it's a type of the end times. Okay, you hear what your pastor's saying. Praise the Lord. Are you going to be one of the few? How many of you want to be one of the few? If you do, would you lift your hand before the Lord? Not before me, but before the Lord. You want to be one of the few. Okay. Amen. Father, I just pray for the people today that have lifted their hands. They've made a decision this morning. I make that decision as well to be one of the few, Lord. I also, Lord, stand before you in reverential fear because I haven't made it yet. Lord, I will make decisions. I will respond. By your grace, I'll live for you until that final judgment comes and your grace expires. And I pray over this house today, this church, this people, that as we get closer to that time, we'd be more dedicated than we've ever been. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Thank you for staying late this morning.